Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When 19-year-old Bryce Lispisa broke up with his college girlfriend suddenly and told his parents that he had something he needed to talk to them about, they assumed that he was going through typical teenage problems. Bryce had just started his sophomore year at Sierra College in Rockland, California, and maybe he was having trouble adjusting. But when Bryce left his girlfriend's house on the night of August 28, 2013, Bryce didn't go home to his apartment. Instead, he kept driving and driving. What followed was over two days of aimless wandering that resulted in a car crash and Bryce never being seen again. Nearly eight years later, his family, friends, and armchair detectives are still trying to figure out what happened to Bryce Lispisa. When a person goes missing, there's a special kind of pain in the not knowing. I want to tell the stories of those who never came home. I want to tell you the story of Bryce Lispisa. I'm Kona Gallagher. And I'm Ethan Flick. And this is And Then They Were Gone. everyone welcome back thank you for joining us once again yeah i'm excited to get into part two of this episode yes so thank you everybody for your patience with another two-parter um especially to those who are on our patreon page i usually try to post the second part of these episodes there right after we published the first one but our schedules did not allow for that this time no we have been Deep into remodeling a bathroom. Yeah, it's pretty much uh, what we've been doing this entire week. Plus, my actual day job has kept me very busy. So I've actually had to abandon poor Ethan uh, many times throughout the week (laughs) to go meet with clients. When I took off of work so that I could actually get some of this done. Okay, yes, but when you take off of work, you still get paid. I do not. (laughs) I understand that. And we've got a mortgage, babe. (laughs) I was not comparing the two. I was simply saying that that we have been very busy with the bathroom upstairs. And my parents came for the weekend. Yeah, yeah. So we had a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah, so we're just now recording this on 
the Sunday before we publish this. So Yeah, late Sunday night. Yeah, late. Um, but speaking of Patreon, I want to give a shout out to our newest member, Rena J. Thank you, Rena, so much for your support. It really means the world to us. And, you know, if you're on Patreon and you're in our top two tiers, you get an And Then They Were Gone t-shirt that Ethan has never seen. I've never nope. seen it in person. Still the design is basically... Don't have it. <laughs> yeah, we don't have it. The design is basically a round version of our logo. But, you know, I would love to offer more merch at some point, but I have zero design skills. Like, I'm pretty, uh, pretty like proud of just being able to come up with that logo honestly <laughs> yeah for sure um but well, that's, uh, okay i'm so, tapped out uh, after that well hey <laughs> why don't we put it out to our to our listeners if anybody out there wants to help us out and dabble in uh some designs for for some shirts or some merch like yeah no please do and yeah. and like with that said um i do not believe in asking for people's labor for free no, so no. like no, 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 this is not. not something that we are asking somebody to do for free by any means so yeah. please all, like, all of the zero dollars that we've raised <laughs> with patreon no, <laughs> like, it, it'll, there are it'll like get profit, funneled back <laughs> there are profit sharing mechanisms okay. in place for things i don't like this. i don't understand <laughs> i know again, you don't need to yeah. understand but the point is is that you know I would never um, ask people to give us labor for free. So if any of you are artists and are interested, please reach out to us on social media. We're at ATTWGpod on Instagram and Twitter. And and then they were gone podcast on Facebook. We would love to collaborate on some designs. But for now, let's get to Bryce's story. Yeah, let's get into it. This, uh, also, I'm I'm like so exhausted from... So many two-part episodes. Okay, so <laughs> here's where I have some bad news that I've been keeping oh, from you. Come on. This, I think, is going to be a three-parter. No. Babe, okay, but... No. No, for a very good reason. I was trying to wrap this up, and then something happened. And what happened actually led to new information in this case that... I have not seen out there before. So even though, you know, last week I talked about how this case is more well-known than most of the ones that we cover. Well, yeah. Uh, I have new information on this case, and I don't think we're going to fit it all into this episode. We're going on vacation, babe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand how we're going to fit this in before it, like, gets out to the rest of the world. Okay, well, our marital spats are for off-mic time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. Okay, let's go. When we left off last week, Bryce had been driving in the direction of his parents' house for about two days. Bryce's parents lived in Laguna Niguel, California, which was about eight hours south of his apartment in Rockland. And to be fair, he spent most of a day sitting at a at a rest stop right, on the side of the button, highway. So he, yes. yeah, so he wasn't actually driving the whole time. Technically, no, he was not, but he was in his car. The whole time. Yeah. Um, in Buttonwillow, California. That's where that rest stop was, where he spent about 13 hours. Still need to figure out where Buttonwillow, California is. Yeah, it's just a small little town on the I-5 in between his apartment and his parents' house. I just want to go there so that I could say that I've been to Buttonwillow. Yeah. Because... Who the hell knows where Buttonwillow, California is? <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, people who who follow true crime, that's who knows. Uh, well, apparently, right? yeah. Yeah, so it's about three and a half hours north of Laguna Niguel. 
So he spent a lot of his time there, but once he finally got back on the road after Christian, the world's best auto repair shop employee. No kidding. Again, like, dude needs an award. Yeah. Once he followed Bryce onto I-5 South and followed him for 10 miles to make sure he kept on going in the right direction, he did make it another hour and a half down the interstate to Castaic Lake. Now, during this part of his trip, Bryce called his parents at 2.09 a.m. on August 30th, 2013, and he told them that he was too tired to drive the last leg of the journey to their house. And it's unclear if Bryce had actually gotten any sleep over the past few days. I've seen reports that said he had been awake for anywhere from 24 to up to 72 hours at that point. Yeah, and if you're if you're talking about that length of time, not necessarily 24 hours, because I've been awake for 36 hours, I think is is my record. Mm-hmm. But going beyond like 40 plus hours of, of no sleep, you begin to hallucinate. It, it, right? It, yeah, it become it becomes a really dangerous situation. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and we'll get more into the the possible drug angle later, but even if like this person had never imbibed any sort of substance in his entire life just being awake for that long. Yeah, could, it, it would result in basically the same side effects. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then if drugs were involved on top of that, then it's a whole other ball game. Yeah. So he, you know, he tells them that he needs to pull over and get some sleep. So at this point, you know, his parents were like, oh my God, you need to get home. But like, he, they understand he has to be tired. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like pull over to the side of the road, get some sleep, come home for right. sure. Yeah. yeah. So they hung up with him and fell into an uneasy sleep themselves. Well, yeah, because I'm sure that they've been awake for a long time too. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, they've gotten sleep throughout this, but I'm sure it wasn't good sleep. Yeah. And it was only a few hours here and there because, you know, they had a 1 a.m. conversation, a 2 a.m. conversation, you know, like. Yeah, and I'm sure the in-between was them talking to each other and trying to figure out a game plan to yeah. to get him home. Well, yeah, and, and when he, after he got on I-5 South this last time, Karen said in that episode it disappeared that like they were talking like constantly, like she would call him, he would call them like back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. So again, they've been awake for a long time. Exactly. Well. And stressed out of their and minds. Stressed. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So when the doorbell rang the next morning around eight, they rushed downstairs thinking their son had finally made it home. Instead, they were greeted by a California highway patrol officer. The officer tells Liz Pisas that their car, the one Bryce was driving, was found on an access road right in front of Castaic Lake. This lake is about two hours away from their home. The car had been involved in a crash. It was on its side with the airbag deployed at the bottom of a 25-foot embankment. But Bryce was nowhere to be found. So now that we're caught up, Let's get into the circumstances of this car crash. Yeah, I want to get into to that because y- you you brought up uh, brought up a couple of things. That, you mm-hmm. know, the airbag being deployed, it yeah. being on its side, and I think the last episode you said that the rear window was smashed out yes. as well. So I want to kind of 
diagram that a little bit. Yeah, and I'll do that to the best of my ability. You know that I'm not great with uh, <laughs> visualizing things and spatial reasoning. Sure, sure. Yeah. But I will do that to the best of my ability based on you know what I've seen and what I've read. Bryce's parents, when this chip officer appeared on their doorstep, obviously like immediately started to panic. I mean, if there's something worse than hearing that your son basically drove off a cliff, it's hearing that your son drove off a cliff and can't be found. Yeah, also a good reference to Chip, California Highway Patrol, in case anybody knows yes. doesn't know what that is. <laughs> Just saying. All right, so as I mentioned... The car was on its side. Now, what happened is that Bryce drove down this embankment. The car fell onto its front bumper. Which explains why the airbag was deployed. Right. And then turned over onto the driver's side. To the driver's side. Yes. Okay. Bryce obviously couldn't get out of his door. Sure. Because his door was on the ground. Yeah. Now, the photos of the car show that there's also damage to the passenger side. And I'll show the photos to you now. And these are also on our blog for those of you who are listening. Okay, so this is a photo of the car at the crash, in situ, as uh, they would say. So here it is lying on its side. Well, that's not at all what I was expecting, honestly. Oh, yeah, how's that different? Well, I wasn't expecting it to be on a road. The The way I was picturing it was mm-hmm. being so close to a lake, I was expecting the embankment to end at a lake. Yeah, c- keep that in mind. Okay. Did you say you have pictures of the yeah, passenger side? Because it, do. does, it does look like the there's damage to that door. Yeah, so this is what people saw when they got to the accident site, right? So what I'm going to show you next are photos of the car after it was towed away. Yeah. Okay, so looking at these photos, it doesn't it doesn't appear as though there was another vehicle involved. There's no paint transfer on the on the car itself. Right. There's a lot of vertical scratches on mm-hmm. the car, which is interesting. There's also a large dent in the passenger side front fender. Uh, which leads me to believe that maybe he hit a uh, a guardrail or um, a jersey barrier mm. on the side of the road, mm-hmm. on the passenger side of the road, which would lead to a lot of the, the scratches along along that side of the car too. And that dent, that same dent, continues down past the uh, the rear passenger side door. So you're looking at. So to me, it looks it looks like. A jersey barrier or a a, a guardrail that height wise is just about at the door handle level. Mm-hmm. For reference, this is a 2003 Toyota Highlander, which is an SUV. Right. Yeah. So it, it's it's a pretty. I would say a medium, It's a pretty high barrier. I would say a medium sized SUV. Would you agree, or would you say it's large? A Highlander. Yeah. Uh, that's large. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's a pretty high barrier, yeah. honestly. Without having any other paint transfer from the from another vehicle, mm-hmm. that's the only thing that I could assume is that it's a, it's a jersey barrier or, or or something along the side of the road that he hit. Right. It's also missing uh, the side view mirror. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Well, on which side? 
The passenger side. Okay. But uh, show me the the picture of it on its side again, because I feel like the pas- I feel like that mirror was there. Oh, so you're that, right. It was that there. Might have been. Yeah. So that might have just been lost when they flipped it over and yeah and towed it. But regardless, there's obvious damage to the passenger side, and it actually looks like the passenger side door has been opened. Yeah, and so I don't know when this photo was taken, so I don't know if... Well, I'm looking at now at the photo of it on its side when they found well, it. Well, no, I know that, but I don't know if that photo was taken before investigators, EMTs, you know, Got anybody... into the car, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well... Just from this picture, it looks as though the passenger side door has been opened. Right. It looks like he hit something on the passenger side and then somehow ended up going down the embankment and landing front first Mm -hmm. and then rolled onto the driver's side. Yeah, so I don't know if the damage that you see on the passenger side prevented Bryce from leaving through that door or if the door appears open because that is how Bryce exited the car. Right. The Highlander's back window was also broken out, which I mentioned before, and police believe that it looked like it was broken from the inside. Hmm. So they think that that's actually how Bryce left the car. Okay. So, all right, I have a hard time with that for a couple of reasons. One... It does look like the passenger passenger door had been open, like you said, right? Right. Now, whether or not that is because Bryce opened it and exited that way, or you know, police, EMTs, whoever opened it, the door it appears it, was it, able to be opened. Right. It's right? it's ajar in that in that one yeah. photo. Because my initial question was when I saw the passenger side damaged was. Did it basically, you know, shut the door? Like, did the damage basically dent the door so in, that it in a be way? Opened. Yeah, exactly, right. Yeah, and so Bryce could not exit the car through the doors and had to exit through the back. Let me wait. Let me see that picture again. Of, the one on the side. Yeah, the of the the initial photo. Yeah, my concern and what makes me question whether or not he left from the back is one, you know, a back window is extremely hard to break. Yes. And unless it's already cracked, right? And which it very well could have been having been in an accident like that, right? Sure. So if it was already cracked, it was already broken, it would have been fairly easy, I think, to kind of kick it out. But to my knowledge, there wasn't any blood found on the back window, which I feel like had he exited that way through broken glass, more than likely there would have been some blood. Well, not necessarily. Uh, uh, the windows in cars are safety glass uh-huh. uh, all the way around. Yeah. So it doesn't it doesn't shatter the same as regular glass. So you don't think he necessarily would have cut himself on that glass is what you're saying? Yeah, no. I, I don't think that he would have at all. When a vehicle flips over like that, it, it it's it's not crazy to think that the back window would also shatter right. even even in an instance like this also along the lines of the safety glass like that it's safety glass so it it takes a tremendous amount of effort to 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 break that and typically when it breaks it breaks as as one piece almost which you don't have here so my thought is so what do you think that does look like what it looks like to me is that when it when it it landed 
front bumper side down first, which deployed the airbag, mm-hmm. and then when it rolled onto its side, I think that the rear window, given that it is a curved surface, burst. Okay, from and, the pressure. From the pressure, and it's a curved surface curving outward mm-hmm. slightly, yeah. but you know enough that when it would land on its side the glass wouldn't fall necessarily fall into the the cavity of the vehicle because it's curved outward. Right. So to me that 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 what I see is that the the rear window shattered on impact when it rolled onto its side mm-hmm. from the basically being you know upright yeah <laughs> from the front right and then, and then slamming down on its side and then the window shattered out right because of the curvature of the window that would be my take yeah so you don't think necessarily that Bryce left through the back window at all i mean he might have yeah but uh, you know th- again we have the, we have that picture where the door is ajar so the the question is like you brought up was it emts was it first responders on the scene opening mm-hmm. that door to get in there but why would they first on the scene would shine flashlights in through the windows presumably it's not mm-hmm. like i'm going to climb onto a car yeah. that's on its side to open the door to look inside i'm going to look through the windows that are there and if you don't see anybody like what would be the purpose of opening that door you're right and i don't know and what's interesting is that there was some blood found in the car Small amounts, but it was found around the driver's seat area, but also on the passenger seat. So again, it seems to me as though he he popped open the passenger side right. door and climbed out that way. Yeah. Think of an SUV. So you've got the second row and then the the trunk space or possibly a third row. I don't know what level of think, Highlander this yeah. was, but there, there's space behind the back seat. Mm-hmm. Why would you crawl that distance to climb out when if you are on your side, if you can just manage to stand up, basically, mm-hmm. you can pop open that door yeah, like a tank hatch and climb out that way. Yeah, and he was 5'11", which to me, at first I was like, well, maybe he didn't have enough. He couldn't stand oh, no, up enough to enough. get leverage. He definitely had enough. Yeah. But yeah, given that it was the Highlander, there's a lot of room between the driver's door and the passenger door, I think he yeah. would have been able to stand up enough to get leverage. Yeah, absolutely. And open that door. Yeah. Yeah. So, and like I said, they did find blood on the passenger side. What they did not find was blood outside of the car at all. Hmm. So, you know, they would... How much blood are we talking? Small amounts. Like, small enough that the investigators did not think that he had been mortally or gravely injured. Right. At least externally, because you never know about internal bleeding, you know, things like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, in terms of the amount of blood, it was not an amount of blood that in and of itself gave them concern for his well-being, you know? And it was such a small amount of blood that there was zero trail leading away from the car. So maybe whatever scrapes he had on him cuts whatever right the blood transferred because he was using parts of the vehicle to get out yeah like if his hand was bleeding and he grabbed the headrest on the passenger side to give himself a boost you know to pull himself up right then blood got on the headrest yeah 
again, small amounts of blood, but nothing that would indicate to investigators that he was terribly injured. So what was probably even more alarming than the blood found in the car was what else police found inside the car. They found Bryce's laptop and his cell phone. His duffel bag and wallet were outside of the car on the ground. So at this point, due to the lack of blood and, well, the lack of Bryce, his parents are starting to think that he crashed his car, became disoriented, and was wandering around somewhere. I mean, yeah, that's definitely a possibility. Yeah. But as the investigation gets underway, detectives started to map out Bryce's last movements before the crash. So, you know, they did what you should do in missing persons cases. Like you try to find any sort of outside information that you can. And in this case, it was cell phone data, which they had already used before when Bryce was considered a missing person briefly. Right. The other day. And they started pulling surveillance video. Good. Yeah. So eventually what they found via his cell phone records and surveillance video is that sometime before dawn that morning, like before 5 a.m., Bryce drove up Lake Hughes Road up to the service area for a cell tower. This service area was at the top of a steep embankment overlooking Castaic Lake. After studying the tire tracks left in the dirt, because this is where he started his descent down this embankment, this um, access road by the cell tower, police determined that not only did Bryce not use his brakes on the way down this 20-foot embankment, but he likely had his foot on the gas. So the detective in the episode of Disappeared kind of went through this, and he said that Bryce was going so fast fast down this embankment that he, you know, made very like deep tire tracks and was kicking up large rocks on his way down that were hitting the undercarriage of his car. So I think some of the damage that you notice, including those vertical scrapes, could possibly be the the brush that he was driving through. Yeah. And the rocks. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, did they think this was a possible suicide attempt? Well, yeah. So once police find this, that's exactly where their minds went. You know, they put it together with his strange behavior. I mean, that's where that's where all the evidence is pointing at, right. the, at that point. So, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, what's more, they think that he may have actually been trying to drive into the lake. Now, and that's why I told you to keep that in mind, what you were picturing in your head, which is that this embankment was right over the lake. But there because was but there was a road underneath. There was. In between. But when you're at the top of that embankment, I'm sure you, you can't, can't see, see it. the road. Yeah, yeah. You just see the lake. So it appears from standing on top of the embankment that if you drive off, you would just drive into the lake. But in reality, as we find, there is this road at the bottom, and the lake itself is on the other side of the road. So police speculate that Bryce tried to drive into the lake, but when that didn't work, he escaped the car and entered the water by foot. 
Further bolstering this theory that Bryce did this on purpose was the fact that surveillance video showed that Bryce actually drove around and he drove to the top of this embankment three separate times. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I was curious about, about how he found this embankment. Yeah. Like the, so it so seems an like access he, road yeah. to a cell tower is mm-hmm. not... I mean, sure, you can pick it out when you're driving along the side of the highway, yeah. but like, it's not something that you'd be familiar with. So, oh no, certainly not. You know, it leading to an, a, a, a steep drop off mm-hmm. into a, presumably visually into a lake. Yeah. Like that's not something that he would have known unless he went up there and, and found it. Right. So, yeah. So he drove there three separate times to the top of this embankment. The first time was at 2.15 a.m., right after he got off the phone with his mom and told her that he was pulling over to get some sleep. And it's not just his behavior during this multi-day drive that's making police think that Bryce had tried to take his own life. Shortly before Bryce's disappearance, he made a move that is a hallmark of people who have decided to take their own lives. He started giving away his possessions. Before he left his apartment for what would turn out to be the last time, Bryce gave his roommate Sean his Xbox. Not only that, but Bryce had pierced ears. And so his mother had given him at some point a pair of her diamond earrings, and he gave those to his roommate as well. Like legit real diamond earrings? From what I understand, yes. Wow. Plus, there was the drinking. Now, remember when last week I said that Bryce's friends had said that he had been drinking a lot? So it was really a lot. According to them, he was drinking hard liquor and would go through two bottles by himself in a weekend. Holy shit, that's a lot. Yeah, and I haven't read anything that specifically said what size of bottles, but unless we're talking about airplane bottles, like that's uh, yeah, no, worrisome. That, that's a lot, yeah. Yeah, especially for somebody so young. I mean, he was only 19. Yeah. And if he didn't have like a history of heavy drinking, which according to most accounts, he didn't. Yeah, it seems like this came out of the blue. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, it, you don't you don't have that level of tolerance that's that's a lot of alcohol. Oh, dude. I mean, you should have seen me in college. Like, <laughs> I mean, two like weak rum and cokes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and I was I was done. <laughs> I, I mean, you're like a featherweight now. So <laughs> I am not. I feel like my tolerance is like way too high now. Nah. But in any case, in you know when I was nineteen or twenty one, <laughs> like it was it was something completely different. Plus. Bryce's girlfriend, Kim, 
told police that the night this all started, the night that he came over to her apartment, not only had he been drinking that night, but he was taking Vyvanse, that ADHD medication that we had talked about. Now, what I find interesting is that if this is true, what Kim says, that he was under the influence of both Vyvanse and alcohol, Bryce's mom apparently couldn't tell that he had been drinking when she was on the phone with him. She wouldn't have told Kim, presumably, to give him back his keys if he sounded drunk. Is Vyvanse an upper? Yeah. And alcohol's downer? Yeah. So, I mean, maybe there's some equilibrium as far as... uh, The way you sound or the way you present yourself? Maybe. Yeah, I really, I honestly do not know. Um, But that's also a hallmark of somebody that's more experienced in alcohol and drug use. Not That they can hide it that well. Yes, not like a 19 or 19-year-old kid. Yeah, so keep that in mind too. Regardless, we do also need to keep in mind that when police searched his car... Remember, after he was reported missing by his mother and police found him and he gave them permission to search his car, police did not turn up any drugs or alcohol and he passed a field sobriety test. Now, what I do not know is whether or not that duffel bag, the one that was found on the ground outside, whether or not he gave consent for the police to search that duffel bag. Right. So I do not know if that duffel bag was searched. I do not know if he had anything in there. I would believe from a from a common sense perspective that if he did have drugs or alcohol in that duffel bag, that he wouldn't have given police consent to search any part of his car. But I don't know. No, I agree with you. Um, and I also think it that if he had agreed to the search of his vehicle mm-hmm. and then denied the search of a bag that also would have been noted right in the police record yeah like and that, I, that, that that's a red flag for cops like sure. if nothing criminal about it nothing you can do as a cop like you can't just you like, can't force him to let you yeah, search no, the bag absolutely right because they there, don't have probable there's, cause there's no probable cause there's yeah no reason for them to to legitimately go into that bag but if it was denied if access was given to the car so willingly mm-hmm. and then the bag was denied, that definitely would have been noted in a, in a police report. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I completely agree. And I feel like, you know, with all of the coverage that this case has gotten, especially, you know, with the disappeared episode that did have interviews with the detective, like that, that would have been noted. Right. Oh, for sure. You know, that yeah. they would have been like, Oh yeah, he agreed to the search, but didn't but agree he, to the search of said, this duffel yeah. bag. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. Right. Like exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So in my mind, they they searched everything. Right. And I think that's a reasonable assumption to make. We don't know. It is still an assumption, obviously. Absolutely, it's an assumption. But I do think that is reasonable. But I do want to take a a little sidebar to talk about Vyvanse. Yeah, I don't don't know what this is. Well, exactly. Um, You know, I had never heard of this drug before researching this story. But the good people over on the Unresolved Mysteries subreddit were able to give some insight. Reddit user MKHewitt26 talked about their personal experience with Vyvanse. Quote, Occasionally when I was in college in Minnesota, I would take an extra Vyvanse at night during finals week to help me stay up and study, something I 
definitely wasn't supposed to be doing, by the way. When I do that, I would get what I like to call episodes, where I would lose my sight and start shaking and be unable to see. These would only happen after I hadn't slept while taking too much of the Vyvanse during finals week. To this day, doctors don't really know what to call these episodes, though I've undergone lots of testing and it's a huge concern. My point in telling you this is that if Bryce had been taking Vyvanse, was not used to taking it regularly, or simply was taking it in addition to not sleeping for days at a time, I believe it's entirely possible that he suffered a stroke or some sort of episode. I fully remember my strange behavior after I would have these episodes, and often they would take such a toll on me mentally that I would be unable to recall information for periods of time, end quote. And then they concluded by saying, quote, if he had been taking it and then he suddenly stopped, the crash is terrible. I have attempted to stop taking Vyvanse on my own, and it's not only physically painful, it also will alter your mental state drastically. Hallucinations during withdrawal are not uncommon, as well as increased anxiety and paranoia, end quote. I, you know, I'm going to prefer, this is just like some random person on Reddit, like not a doctor, sure, you know, sure, whatever. Sure, but it, but it's somebody that's describing their experience. Right. You know, if it's true, the come down almost sounds like almost heroin-esque, like to have that level of, of physical pain mm-hmm. as well as, as mental, you know, that, that's pretty, that's pretty serious. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, it sounds like. This is I don't, I don't no know joke. anything about this drug. So yeah. this is this is all fascinating to me. Yeah, so I don't know. And but what was interesting is that the comment section of this Reddit thread had several people weighing in on the whole drug angle in general, with several self-proclaimed former addicts chiming in to say that they actually believe that Bryce spent all of that time in Buttonwillow waiting for a dealer. That's a long time. It is. So, uh, the cat who Shatner said, (laughs) (laughs) quote, I myself have been in that same situation before, stuck in a parking lot for hours, waiting until your lazy-ass oxy dealer gets off his butt to meet you, and you definitely don't want to leave until you get your drugs, so until then, you're stuck, end quote. Okay, but... Button Willow is a long way from his campus yeah. where he was, or his apartment, where he was supposedly using. Right. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I know Button Willow is kind of in between his apartment and It is, but it's, his parents. it's still five hours away from where he lives. Yeah, that's... That's a long way to go for for a dealer. No, it is. And that's what a lot of other people in the common thread said. But again, former addicts, uh, Road Dog 29 agreed, adding, as a former heroin addict, that's exactly what crossed my mind. So panicked over missing the dope man, you're white knuckling the steering wheel and afraid to blink so you don't miss him, end quote. And then again, but the problem is, like, Button Willow, like, is so far away. And from, from either location. Exactly. So why is he waiting there for a dealer? Yes. And to me, this is definitely the biggest problem with this theory. However, it could have been that he got connected with someone 
in Button Willow from someone that he went to college with. And, you know, so like maybe he went to college with somebody who had drug connections in in Button Willow. Willow. Okay. Yeah. So like that's the only way that that could kind of make sense to me. It just just seems like there would be a dealer, uh, not necessarily of of Vivant, but some other drug that could take the place of Vivant. Closer. Yeah. I mean, he's he's living in a college town, right? Right, exactly. So, yeah, one would think that you could yeah. get drugs. Yeah, but beyond the the logical issues with this, even if Bryce was, in fact, sitting at a rest stop in Buttonwillow for 13 hours waiting for a drug dealer, that still doesn't answer the main question. What happened to him after he crashed his car? Right. Obviously, Bryce taking his own life is a theory that investigators went with, but Bryce's parents have always contended that that's not something Bryce would have done. They believe that Bryce sustained a head injury in the accident and walked away not knowing who he was. That very well could be as well. Yeah, and you know, as a parent, like I can't imagine how difficult it would be to, one, find out that you're son is missing and then to two have police tell you that they think that he harmed himself it must be a terribly difficult idea to entertain but you know there is actually some physical evidence that indicates that their belief may be more than just wishful thinking On the ninth day of the investigation, searchers brought in bloodhounds. These dogs started at Bryce's car and went all the way to Government's Cove, where investigators believed he could have entered the water. Divers started in the shallow areas but continued to go deeper. Their searches, however, were fruitless. But the dogs did pick up Bryce's scent, and it led directly to a nearby truck stop where it then vanished. So this, of course, led people to speculate that maybe Bryce didn't take his own life. Maybe he got a ride and started a new one. Could be. You said that he left his wallet? Yes, his wallet, his cell phone, his laptop. Was there money in the wallet? I think so. I don't think... I mean, this seems to be a recurring thing, you know, where people leave to in theory, start a new life and they leave money. Right. But if it, I mean, who knows how much he actually had. It's a, it's not like they left a wad of 400 or no, $1,000 no. yeah. or whatever. Yeah, and I think if it had been a substantial amount of cash, like that also would have been mentioned. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, if he's like any other college student, if he had any cash, <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> it was probably like five bucks or something. Yeah. But... To go back to Reddit, another commenter who calls themselves the anonymous hooligan claims to be, quote, a bit of an insider. And, you know, we obviously, again, have to take this generally with a whole pound of salt. But this person does have some interesting things to say, including, quote, I can say with certainty that there were issues between Bryce and his family. 
while Bryce's mother, Karen, is an unrepentant psycho, I am told that Bryce had a tight, borderline codependent relationship with her in the years leading up to his disappearance, but not much is known about the relationship in the final year or so. His relationship with his father, Mike, was at times very tumultuous as Mike would lose his temper, yell, and scream at Bryce over things as trivial as not understanding how to complete his math homework. I don't know if the relationship was ever physically violent, but there is most definitely a lot of verbal slash emotional abuse going on in that household and not just with Bryce, end quote. So again, we don't know who this person is and we can't verify anything that they're saying. It it does somewhat fit with part of my theory was Mm -hmm. that was that there's something going on at home that he's stressed out about and doesn't want to talk about. Right. And I asked about the parents' background. Whether or not they're religious or... Yes. Yeah. 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 Which I had a certain angle because that was my presumption and Mm -hmm. it could be completely off. But, you know, you have a strict household... A codependent relationship—that's that's a that's a huge thing. That would also explain why there were so many phone calls back right. and forth. Like um, when he had a fight with his girlfriend and called his mom. Yeah. During it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now again, I'm not I'm not putting any credit on this Reddit redditor. Reddit? <laughs> yes, redditor. Yeah. Because you know, again, we, uh, it all sounds, it all adds up, it all. Yeah. Aligns, but it th- this is hindsight from somebody that we don't know what their interaction with the family is, what knowledge they have. You right. Know, they, they claim to have inside knowledge. Well, you know, I mean, you're just somebody on the internet, so we can't verify any of that. It, it does make sense given the picture, mm-hmm. but who knows? Well, that was my thought too. You know, I I was reading all of these posts because this person did make several on this thread, giving what appeared to be kind of inside information or insight into the Lispisa family. And, you know, I was was a little torn about like, is this just some random person on the internet just trying to get attention? Like, does this person actually know the family? Like, what's going on? Because the person, you know, didn't seem to actually know Bryce himself, you know? So I was like, I don't know. So I actually decided to dig a little bit deeper into it. And that is the reason that we actually do have to have a part three on this case, because I found out some things and we talked a lot in this episode about, you know, theories about the car crash. And we talked about all of the evidence that led the police to believe that Bryce had taken his own life. And in my opinion, it is compelling evidence. For sure, yeah. Right? What's interesting, and I think why this case has endured um, and why this case gets covered so often, is because while that evidence is compelling, I do feel that the evidence that Bryce is possibly still alive is also compelling. And I was able to find out more information that has not been covered in the other podcasts that have been done on his case that has not, to my knowledge, actually been covered anywhere. And we need to talk about it. And this episode is already long. So we actually have to get into this in 
part three and talk about it a little more and talk about evidence that may perhaps indicate that the narrative of this case that has been presented in the media since 2013 isn't necessarily the objective truth. So I know you're, Ethan, not happy with me dragging this on. No, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm sure the listeners are like, oh my God. However, for our Patreon followers, we will actually have this up almost immediately. So this is going to be up very soon after you hear this episode. So you actually won't have to wait another week to hear part three. Um, And if you don't want to wait to hear part three, you can join us on Patreon. I changed the tiers so that it's just a free-for-all. Donate anything, $2 and above, whatever tier you want, you can hear this episode as soon as I post it, which will be very shortly after this episode. So part two is going to go up. Part three will follow right after. Bryce David Elispisa has been missing from Castilla, California since August 30th, 2013. He was 5'11 and 170 pounds. He has red hair and blue eyes. He has a tattoo of a Taurus bullhead and his birthday in Roman numerals on his upper left arm and pierced ears. Bryce was 19 years old when he went missing. He would be 27 today. If you have any information on Bryce Elispisa's disappearance, please call the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office at 323-890-5500. You can see all of the sources for this episode along with photos and videos at our website and then they were gone.com. And again, if you want to hear part three early, it will be available on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash attwgpod. And be sure to follow us on social and then they were gone pod on Facebook and at ATTWG pod on Instagram and Twitter. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe and consider leaving a five-star review on Apple podcasts. It will help new listeners find us. And the more people that listen, the more chances we have of bringing someone home. And we'll see you here next week for a brand new episode. See you next week. And then they were gone is hosted by Kona Gallagher and Ethan Flick. Our research writing and editing is done by Kona Gallagher. Theme music is The Stork by Ketza. Additional music is provided by Kai Engel. And Then They Were Gone is a Little Monster production. Hey, you can do it!